Yeah, I think. <laughs> it's time to shine. It's time to shine. You can leave that in. Yeah, What's I up, think. everybody? How you guys doing today? God damn it. Welcome to our, our sincerest condolences. Uh, I'm Devin. Uh, I'm Mike. Uh, Mike doesn't like E-Town Concrete. Um, <laughs> Man. <laughs> you know what I like about E-Town Concrete? I like how cheesy all the merch is. I like the general, like, because it reminds me of body count. Yeah, like sure. they're like just totally. like intentionally like overly gangster shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, and they've got the greatest hardcore lyric of all time when he says the day is mine and the night is also mine. <sighs> so, yeah. <laughs> all right. Great. This is a great way. I wasn't sure we were going to start this episode and then some stupid shit came out of my mouth and here we are. So, yeah, guys, thank you. Welcome to episode four of uh, our sincerous condolences. Like we said, uh, it's been, this has been fun so far. We've had a couple cool episodes and we've had uh, we had a guest, which was rad and He'll probably continue to be a semi-regular guest, and we've got a few others as well. But uh, today, you guys will be graced with just Mike and I's opinions. Um, <laughs> so today's episode is The Virtue of Cover Songs. Um, and our goal with this, which I think was the hardest part of all, was to pick cover songs that are better than the original. Because, man, there's a shit ton of good cover songs out there. So many really There's three times songs. as many bad cover songs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but to find stuff that was better than the original, I really struggled at times. And I even have a couple on here. Where, like, today I feel that way. And if you ask me tomorrow, I might change my mind. Right, exactly, yeah. But, it's, man, I don't know. This was a cool exercise. Yeah, it was, because, again, it was having that delineator. Like, I can think of so many covers that are fun to listen to, you know? Sure. And, like, but, yeah, then it gets into, is it actually better? Like, I know we were talking a while back about, for a while, there was that whole phase that everyone fucking loved where it's like taking like a pop song and turning it into like oh, an acoustic God. coffee house track. All the punk goes pop shit and things yeah, like that. Yeah, not only that, but like I, I think there's someone that you used to work with here in town who used to do a lot of like, you know, they do like in-house like acoustic covers like at places and stuff. Sure. You know, and a lot of that is so much fun. And, and yeah. you know, this next statement is not about that person. It's no, no, just no, no, yeah, I know you're talking about he's a great. Um, yeah, it's like a lot of that stuff is so much fun and it's fun because it's different than the original song. But then again... Do, is it actually better than the original song? Sure. Yeah, you know, and that's what makes it really hard. And again, just like Devin said, like these are our fucking opinions. Yeah. <laughs> like, like who the hell are we? But it's still a really fun thought exercise. Yeah, you know? we have um, we have an Instagram page is at our sincerest condolences. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have opinions, throw them out. If you guys have other cool ideas or songs that you think should have made this list, let's talk about it for sure. Um, it'd be cool at some point as we start to build this to maybe get a little bit of messages and do like a mailbag episode, and we'll. We'll definitely air those opinions if you got them. So let's talk about these tracks and yeah, absolutely. Our our, yeah, absolutely. Because our email is our our sincerest condolences at Gmail. Yep. Like Devin said, we've got uh, Instagram. We're gonna have Spotify playlists uh, for all this. That'll be down in the in the show notes and everything. Um, so yeah, like we'd love to hear more stuff that wouldn't have ne- would have never occurred to us. Anything you've heard of? Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to yeah. hear about it. So yeah, I'm gonna come correct and I'm gonna start this podcast off as it should be. Um, with what I believe to be one of the greatest cover songs of all time, which is Faith by Limp Bizkit. Um, (laughs) And I I say that with all sincerity. I fucking love Limp Bizkit, for those of you who have met me or know who I am. Uh, Deep, deep love for that band. Um, I've seen them over many generations, and I think that track is awesome, and I think it's substantially better than the George Michael song. and I know some people may come for me for that, and I don't care because that shit is good. And it was one of the last times that like Fred Durst screamed because right. that was like hard. And then they jumped that shit pretty quick and started just getting real hokey. But yeah, I think I don't know, man. I love that song. It was my intro to that band. Right. They were one of those bands like we talked about on a previous episode where 
their first single is a, a cover. Right. Maybe that was their second single because the first one just didn't quite pop. Right. But the first single that you know that went well right, right. was that, and then they they kind of transcended that for for those of us who love her, for those who hate, doesn't matter. <laughs> like they were able to work past that one. Many bands can't. Right. Um. Yeah, man, that that song is so good. Yeah, you know, I'll as much as it it's my gut instinct to disagree with anything that has to do with Limp Bizkit at all. <laughs> but yeah, I I can see where you're coming from in that because. You know, when I think of George Michael, like, I think when I was a little kid, Wham! was some of my favorite shit of all time. Oh, Wham! is substantially better than Solo. Like, yeah, but Solo George Michael was always, I, I just couldn't get around it. Maybe it just, I wasn't the target audience for it. But, um, yeah, that was, I, I thought, <laughs> again, as much as I hate Limp Bizkit, that song was fun in a yep. way George Michael's version wasn't. Yep. Because George Michael's version, to me, was, you know, it was like a little love letter to Elvis, which... Can be done. There's nothing wrong with that. Like sure. one of my favorite Queen songs, "Somebody to Love," is very much a love letter to Elvis. You know, sure. you know. But there was just something about the George Michael one that, again, it, it never spoke to me. It never, you know, it was never exciting to me. Yeah. And that Limp Bizkit song, Limp Bizkit's version of that song, it, it felt very unlike a lot of covers that are used specifically to like get bands traction on the radio. That one felt a little more sincere yeah, it was. than some bands. It felt like maybe they actually liked that song, yeah. you know, and actually wanted well, to do that, you know? And I think what makes that version so much better than the George Michael ones, you can't pit to George Michael. Um, <laughs> I mean, you could, you could but I mean, yeah, yeah sure, like, you can do whatever you want, I suppose. Right. Um, it, will it be accepted as, an, as another? Right. Yeah. But yeah, there's no, there's no push moshing to it. Right, right, right. Can't two step to it. Um, nah, man, I legit love that cover. I think it's, I think it's incredible. Um, again, like I'm a, unapologetically love Limp Bizkit, but yeah, man, what do you got, Mike? Oh yeah. Let me get out my notes here. Oh, now. it's all good. I can keep talking. About <laughs> yeah. So the, um, oh man, yeah, I'm going to get all, well, you know, okay. Yeah. Let's start with something from, from way back then. Um, so I didn't realize this was a cover until we we're doing our homework for this episode. And it is to this day one of my favorite songs of all time. Uh, Cindy Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Banger. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing song. What a great song. Fantastic song. Still a great video. Um, my girlfriend is learning this song on ukulele. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. But yeah, I, 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 apparently it's, it's considered a cover, I guess, only because she didn't write it, I guess. So I, so I don't know. I've never heard this other version. Somebody that performed it, it previously? I guess so. Okay. Yeah. I, um, so, wait. I gotta go back and find my notes here because no, that's interesting. Yeah, exactly. But apparently, let me see if I can find this. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. Apparent, apparently, it's a cover. Apparently, someone else wrote it, and so uh -huh. and had another another version of it. Um, gotta find. She just stole that shit and made it her own. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I think they. Uh... Oh man, I should have had this queued up. Um, there we go. Original artist. So yeah, it was uh, Lopper's version was a cover by someone named Robert Hazard. Is the original? Ooh, performer. that's a hard name. Yeah, who? Yeah, I guess the legend is that they re that person released it as a single, but that's not the case. Um, but Cindy Lopper heard of the song, I guess, liked it, put her spin on it, uh, and released it on her debut album, which I think was like 84 or something, yeah. 83 or 84. She just did it better. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, yeah essentially. In, exactly, in every way. And that's no, kind I, of, what's his name, Don Hazard? <laughs> Man, that would be rad. Robert Hazard? Yeah, who, right, that's what I here, said. Let's go to the Googles. Who's Robert Hazard? <laughs> who the fuck's uh, Robert Hazard? Yeah, Robert Hazard. Not as cool as his name, probably. American musician, recorded the song Girls Just Want to Have Fun in 1979. Um, it's also kind of... But, yeah, Robert Hazard and the Heroes was his band. Oof. He was big in the club scene in Philadelphia specifically. I'm, I'm really struggling with the idea of... <laughs> I'm really struggling with the idea of a man singing that song. Um, yeah. It, it kind of seems creepy to me. Well, I'll give it this. Like, it, it, it would depend on how it's done, but I, I get what you're saying. I know yeah. that... Uh, for a while, Ben Gibbard from Death Cab for Cutie, when he was doing solo shows, he did a version of that song. But it always seemed really reverent. Sure. Like, it seemed more like, you know, it, it always seemed really reverent and sort of tongue-in-cheek, knowing that he probably shouldn't be the one singing that song. And it, that's all, and it's not meant for him. Mm. You know, it's meant for him to take something from the lyrics and learn from. You know, but it's sure. really, but it's not an anthem also, for he, him. He, you didn't, know? he didn't write it either. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. that's where I was talking. I was like, where, where did... Uh, Robert Hazard. I'm just gonna keep calling him Don Hazard because I'm never gonna remember this. Uh, like, where did he come from when he wrote this song? I don't know. He, yeah, I, I, that would be that probably be a whole episode of wondering like, yeah, who is Robert Hazard? <laughs> Dude, the problem is gonna be we're gonna Google this and it's gonna be like, oh, okay, well, that was like a three minute conversation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're like, he's actually not that cool, and he, and he retired, and he just became a lawyer. Right. Exactly. Um, oh, dude. Yeah. Something. Yeah. So, all right, um, man, I fucking love Crowbar. Any guys, who, any guys who love riffs? That was a hard left. It was a hard left. I picked. It. I went out of order on my list just just to talk about Crowbar. So, um, I love Crowbar. I love New Orleans metal and that sludge kind of groove vibe to it. And um, really, for me, I think one of the best covers they did on an album of theirs that I don't think is their best is an album called Equilibrium that kind of was a mid, mid-arc where they were kind of starting to fall off. Things weren't working super well. Um, however, they dropped a cover of um, of Gary Wright's Dreamweaver. No shit. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's incredible. I'm having a real hard time wrapping my mind around oh, that. Yeah, I'll play it for you later. I <laughs> yeah. strongly suggest everybody listens to it because it's definitely got that pop sensibility, but it's slowed down quite a bit. Right. And Kirk Winston just sings it the whole time in almost a prettier way than he, he normally grunts all I had I gave. But um, it's really fucking rad and spacey <laughs> and like still has that like New Orleans sludge groove to it. Yeah. But it just kind of has this like space rock feel. Um, I'd be into that from them. It's yeah. good. It's like the last track on an album that struggled. So right. it took me a long time to find it. Um, and when I did, I was like, Jesus Christ, this is a great fucking song. Dude. But um, it's, I, yeah, it's cool, man. It's really cool. I should revisit that because I don't I've never loved Crowbar to the degree you do. I, yeah. I respect them and I get why you love them and, and you know, why they're important. But yeah, that sounds really interesting to me. That sounds like a, a really cool departure from what they normally. It's a huge do. departure. Yeah, but it still it still fits really well. Because um, when I think of Crowbar, I think of like, you know, you've got photos of these overweight white dudes, which I relate to, um, shirtless inside of it, playing <laughs> fucking massive riffs, and I right. back every piece of this, <laughs> and then all of a sudden they're like, "Here's a Gary Wright cover." And like, yeah, let's right. all in, all in, right? So. Yeah, not not to talk shit on the other band I'm about to mention, but Crowbar always reminded me of like Clutch from a darker timeline, <laughs> like from like the Back to the okay. Future Two timeline where Biff runs everything. You think? <laughs> like, 
Okay. I, I can see that. There's there's some blues in there, but they they just tune tune that shit down. Really, right, really right, hard. right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I should say like early Clutch when it was less of a blues. Band. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, you know, like. But I don't know if if Clutch was capable of dropping an album called Obedience Through Suffering. That dark timeline, man. <laughs> <laughs> it inspires a lot of desperate actions. It sure does. It sure does. Um, so yeah, strongly recommend that track. It'll be on the playlist um, for those of you guys who haven't heard it. And if you don't listen to Crowbar. Um, Big riffs only. <laughs> so. I do love, man, I forget which record you showed me, but yeah, that one, I think you just mentioned it where it's just the whole band photo is just them shirtless. Yeah. Like, I love that photo so much because especially bands with like bigger dudes don't often do stuff like that. No, yeah. And they also don't make it look cheesy the way a lot of like, you know, it doesn't look like a Mano War cover. No, or no, not at all. And it's, uh, it was, oh, Sonic Excess in the purest form. I don't know why I was drawing a blank on that. Yeah, the gatefold to that. I recently did, yeah. a, they did a repress, which has been really cool because Crowbar's actually um, gotten a lot of the licensing back for their records and pressed them in quantities that are reasonable that you don't have to pay $200 for, which has been really cool. Yeah. Um, but that one specifically, it's like full gatefold. is just a shirtless photo of them just like not looking ripped at all. And I don't, it just fits them perfectly. Right. So, I don't know. Respect to Kirk Winstead. The, yeah. the man's written a lot of great stuff over the years, not just in Crowbar, but he wrote the first two down records, which are the only two down records that are worth the shit, in my opinion. Um, he's done a lot of cool stuff. He actually dropped a solo record during COVID that was pretty wild. I've noticed his name popping up on a lot of shit lately, like Metal Injection and things like that, sure. and I don't know why. It's but, it's pretty prolific. He did yeah. uh, Kingdom of Sorrow with Jamie Josta. Okay. They did two records on that for Relapse, that those were pretty rad. Um, but it was mostly just Jamie trying to sing like Kirk Winston. So like, <laughs> kind of like it works, but it's not my go-to. It's like, I love Crowbar. I love Haybreed. Sometimes those things don't need to be paired together. Yeah, right. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also hoping that album, it should have been called Jamie Josta Presents, Jamie Josta and Kirk Weinstein. Ooh, that would be good. <laughs> that would be good. Well, yeah. So, okay. We're, we're talking about things that are like really heavy then. All right, this is going to be a weird left here. So, <laughs> this, so my next one is two bands that are not heavy at all. Um, one band, again, not speaking ill of the original. They were just, weren't really my thing so much. But it's a Simon and Garfunkel song. Okay. Um, called Hazy Shade of Winter. Or maybe it's a Paul Simon song. Someone will probably correct me in the notes, and I could have Googled that, but I didn't. Um, yeah. Not tired of the shit. But the Bangles have oh. this rad version of that song from this 80s movie that I think is about drug addiction. It was like an early Robert Downey Jr. movie. Yeah. Um, you know, I think... Uh, about drug addiction? I didn't know he did any of those. Uh, you know, yeah, you know, I, there was a big departure for him at the time. <laughs> but uh, it was called uh, Less Than Zero. And that's like the primary thing I remember. I, I probably need to go rewatch that. I don't know how it's aged. I haven't seen it since I was a really, really little kid. But I just remember hearing that song and thinking like, holy shit, what a dark, crazy song this is, you yeah. know? And it's heavy in ways, you know, you and I have had this conversation, especially playing, you know, when we say heavy music, for us, that's loud guitars, loud drums, screaming, sure. you know, but talking about how a lot of the best heavy songs aren't loud. They're not, sure. you know, big rock songs by any stretch. It's no. about the emotive content and, you know, the mood and the colors painted. Mm. And that was, you know, when I was a little kid, especially, that song was one of the first times I learned that lesson. Okay. Where, you know, it's, it's a, I think it's a crazy song even now, and I still love listening to it. But yeah, hearing this song that at the time, you know, my only other references for heavy music were like Metallica and Slayer. Sure. And hearing this song that invoked all the same senses of 
wonder and dread without having any of those similar sonic elements mm. you know and so it was uh, yeah i love that song and if it, anyone who's never heard it i cannot recommend it enough it is a really really cool song nice. and it'll definitely be on the little pl- on the playlist that accompanies this right i'm not as familiar with that as i should be i remember hearing it but i think i need to revisit it so yeah and it's because yeah because the Bengals were it was a pop band sure you know and and dude the you know it wasn't originally on my list but i'll throw it in there another fun thing to revisit and i don't know if they ever released it officially but i know you can find it on youtube there's live footage of them way back in the day probably early 90s or something like that of them covering uh feel like making love by oh, that company i remember that yeah and it's it's pretty damn sexy dude yeah. like it's a really really good cover like it's it's really thoughtful and really really well executed it's, it's it really awesome yeah. better than the five finger death punch cover of bad company's bad company <laughs> everything is oh god that's actually <laughs> maybe this is the moment to talk about my two least favorite covers of all time that one that one definitely um, and the atari's boys of summer yeah, that's got to be one of the. That's, okay, that's a whole other episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. The, I've rough. Yeah, yeah rough. man. I never understood how that single took off because they didn't do anything. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like, like, like they made no changes to the song, so I never understood why people. No, they made so one change. Shit about it. Well, they, they put they said black flag sticker. Oh yeah, because that's super punk. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> so my next track is not an Atari song. Um, so this is me applauding. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's good to be here. The um, the original song is a Betty Hutton song from 1951, which I wasn't super familiar with. And I had to kind of reach back to listen to it. It was actually a duet. I guess it was a German track from like 1949 that Betty Hutton re- that, that covered. It essentially like was a Betty Hutton track until 20 some years ago, 25 years ago when Bjork covered it. Um, it's uh, it's oh so quiet. Yeah. Which if, I mean, it's I a, honestly didn't know that was a cover. I didn't. You know, it took me a long time to realize that. It was maybe 10 years ago or so that I realized that it was. Wild. Um, it's just such like a big orchestral loud yeah. song about falling in and out of love. Yeah. Which I, I think is great because she kind of does those like little whispers and shit. And it's really like when she's being quiet, it's about being by yourself and life being pretty good. And then like when she screams and shrieks and like the orchestra gets really loud, she's talking about yeah. like being in love until you're not and you fall apart and then the song gets quiet again. Right, right. It's a really cool... The original was was good. Um, for the time, it, it seemed really interesting and obviously I wasn't around back in 1951, but right. um, it was still like a big, big band, loud track. Right. But Bjork just being Bjork and just having such an insanely talented voice. Um, it's a really cool track. And so, Dude, that, that kind of makes me like it more and I am a massive Bjork fan. Yeah. Like, I absolutely absolutely worship Bjork like that stuff's incredible to me so yeah. yeah it's wild that I didn't know that I mean it's pretty early on in her career too so yeah. I think that like as she became more and more and more ambitious I don't think it's quite falls into the scope of those things but it's just right it's it's a really good exercise in how talented she is yeah um and it's just fun man like it's just a fun little ridiculous song about love and so I, I think you're right though I think I think it actually does speak to her ambition because one of the things are that's on her I think I think that's her second record post correct it is yes and the amount of growth between post and debut is wild no, like it's like time. not even the same artist time, like sure. and then she you know she continues that I mean you know from album to album to album sure she's even dropping singles recently that are still of yeah, quality still rad yeah. yeah really really cool man yeah no I'm gonna go back and listen to that it is <laughs> later funny. today dude I yeah. actually put it on this morning like I was uh I was cruising from my girlfriend's house trying to like 
figure out what song and I put that one on. I was like, God damn, I forgot how much I love this track. Yeah. And I mean, I kind of, I kind of rolled through some Bjork tracks for the rest of the way home, but like that song specifically was like, it's just fun. It's loud and it's abrasive and fun. And yeah, it's like yeah. kind of playful too at the same time. Right. But yeah, great, great fucking track. That's really cool. And I know, you know, again, to, ba- to balance it out, but I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because part of this list is that it's just so much fun. Yeah. But like Bjork songs are hard to cover. And I've heard bands I really respect and love try to cover Bjork songs and it not go well. <laughs> you know, like, like, cause it's almost like, you know, the, the bar she sets as an artist is so high that if I almost feel like if you're going to cover a Bjork song, you almost need to rewrite it because you, you can't just ape it. You, you know, you can't just take the song sure. and be like, oh, I'm going to just play this with loud guitars now. You know, like York doesn't really sit in a genre. She just kind of right. sits by herself. Right. In a lot of ways. And I can't even imagine what that would feel like trying to like process that and make that something different. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like, I don't think there would be, you know, for a, a band like us that sits in like, you know, a hardcore, almost metal sort of range. Yeah, I, I can't think of a single Bjork song uh, that you could just put loud guitars on and have it sound good just for that reason. No, you know what I mean? It's like, because that they weren't loud in that manner. They were like yeah. brooding and moody and like sometimes electronically heavy in different manners. But like, yeah. she's the focal point. And yeah. she's, she's like the mood setter for so many songs. Yeah, and it's a journey. Every single yeah. one of those, it, it's, it's a journey. And I, I think, you know, this, again, this is a whole other episode. I think sometimes musicians who rely specifically on loud guitar miss that a lot sure. you know that the song has to go somewhere and that the song needs to be a journey before the lyrics are even applied mm-hmm. and then the lyrics also have to be a journey mm-hmm. you know and and bjork is fantastic at that like prince level good at that you know you know and so yeah i was just i was just thinking about yeah i'm definitely gonna listen to a bunch of bjork today yeah do it, <laughs> do it yeah so yeah great track um definitely one of my favorites so yeah it's uh, I think it's like number three on our all time plate. So if you pull Bjork up real quick on Spotify, it's pretty easy to find it. But yeah, it's uh, it's oh so quiet. Nice, nice. I think for my next one, it's a David Bowie song that I love. David Bowie, very little of his of his catalog that I don't enjoy. So it's already an amazing, amazing song. But there was a cover of it by an artist I never heard of ever. Apparently, he was like I thought he may have been like a folk artist or something like that. And so it was from a movie soundtrack, a movie I love. I forget if we've talked about this, but that movie, The Life Aquatic. Yeah, it's not brilliant. Yeah, I love that movie. And one of the one of the things I absolutely loved about that movie is this artist who, and I'm probably butchering the name, but Sue George, or um, this Brazilian artist, they put him into the movie as a device in quite a few scenes where he's, you know, whatever song is appropriate to that scene. And most of the songs were David Bowie songs. But it makes the song an actual physical part of the scene where, like, it was part of what was going on. The actors were aware, you know, like, things like that, as opposed to just putting in the music and editing. Yep. And so, and, you know, obviously he, he did record full versions of all these songs, but he did a cover of Life on Mars for that movie. Yeah. And he did it in, uh, I guess, Portuguese. Um, and it's it's incredible. Like, and I would almost argue, and I say this as a massive David Bowie fan, and definitely no shade to David Bowie or the original version, but I almost think it's cooler mm-hmm. just because it's so stripped down and vulnerable in a way that because the original one was again very epic and it's part of this concept album and it was it was a whole thing that was wildly ambitious for the time and still sets the bar for a lot of those things today. Mm-hmm. But that's what I love about the cover is that it sort of goes in the opposite direction and it's so vulnerable and 
small sounding, sure, but also so incredibly emotive. You know, sure. and I just, yeah, I just love every, every aspect of it. Well, and I think the reason why they work so well in the movie is because they tend to be happening while chaos is going around mm. and the minimalist, just acoustic version of the song playing while just the chaos, I mean, it's just the chaos of Steve Zizou and all the other shit going <laughs> yeah. on. It's like, it's brilliant and it sits really comfortably in the scenes. Right. Um, ah, I fucking, it's a, I love that movie. It's definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, that gives me a good, a good excuse to go back and rewatch that movie. Yeah, that's good. I haven't seen it for a minute. Hey man, I mean. Like, <laughs> no, it's it's great. When thinking of covers and covers done well, I really struggled with. I love the Bronx and I love Mariachi El Bronx. Oh and man, I think yeah. Both of those, both versions of that band have done a thousand incredible covers, and Mariachi El Bronx specifically did a cover of Prince's "I Would Die for You." Oh that yeah, I think that is, version is really it's equal good. to. I will never say as any Prince covers better than Prince, which is why I didn't choose that song. Right, but it's important to note. Um, they also did a really great cover of Rory Oberson's Only the Lonely. That was really, oh, really yeah. good. I forgot about um, that. Yeah. And then The Bronx, which is where I ended up landing, is um, the False Alarm 7-inch, which is a single off of the first record hmm. that I ended up getting the 7-inch eons ago. Um, it's like a European-only press. I believe I believe the cover is on Dead Tracks, if I'm not mistaken, because they did double LPs for both bands in the last year and a half or so. Right. It's kind of just a collection of odds and ends and stuff. It's really cool. Um, it was really cool to get a ton of those tracks. There was a lot of unreleased stuff that um, I hadn't heard previously. And they did a cover of Neil Young's The Needle and the Damage Done that I think is substantially Ooh. better. And it's not done in that jangly, aggressive punk vibe that they had, especially in the beginning. Right, it's right. a little slower and brooding and moody. And like, you know, if you're a fan of the Bronx in the second album, they have a track at the end called White Guilt that is a little more just like rock and roll jangly, like mid-tempo rocker about just people with a cocaine problem. But uh, <laughs> um, it has that vibe to it, and it's really, really cool and really well done. And I, I think they did it better. And it's also something that's like a B-side on a 7-inch that got buried for 15 years until last year. The year like I said, year, year and a half ago. Whenever whenever they dropped these double LPs, I don't recall. Um Great. I know they're both out of print, but I do know that though they're up on Spotify and on streaming. So strongly encourage you to grab those. Um, both both worth a listen. Everything Mariachi Bronx covered is worth a listen. Yeah. Oh but, man. But that specifically was the track I thought they did better. Um, they did some deeper stuff too. They, they did a, they did a cover of uh, this track Fourth of July, which I think they did the, great. The Soundgarden song? No, no, oh, okay. no, 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 no. It's just a, just like kind of a jangly right, cover. Right. It's like a, I can't remember the guy who wrote it. It was basically somebody that produced one of their albums, wrote the song, never recorded it, and then they recorded it, and he right. was just like the happiest dude in the world. And nice. So like, you know, it's a cover in a way, but it just never really got released before. But yeah, right. so check that out. Um, huge fan of everything the Bronx and Mariachi dude, L. Bronx does. Mariachi L. Bronx specifically. Like, I love the Bronx too, but Mariachi L. Bronx specifically. Like, what a fantastic idea that was. <laughs> like, that... Uh, Devin agrees. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Came on me with a fury. Yeah, no, I still remember when they said they were going to drop that, and I thought it was a joke. Yeah. And then they dropped that first record, and I was like, shit, this is good. Well, and, and that's part of part of what it is, is that it could have been a really bad joke gone awry. Like, that, it could have been... It could have been tone deaf. Yeah, it could have been some mammy shit that was, like, wildly disrespectful to... to to Mexican culture and, and traditional Mexican music. And instead it's very much a love letter to it. And yeah. I, I think it's, it's I, for me, I mean, like I, I'm not Mexican, but it, sure. it strikes me as something that they were 
passionate about and it is coming from a place of respect yeah. and, and they really are trying to do their best with playing this music that they love yeah and these are mostly california kids like playing what they loved and they pulled like legitimate hispanic musicians to help like round out that sound and right and i think that's part of what makes it is yeah, that like exactly. like if, if they hadn't had anyone who had any experience with that music i think it then it would have fallen flat no for sure yeah now they did it right and they've done it right for a while so yeah hope they drop a new one of those records it's been a minute um but the Bronx keeps pumping out great shit, so. Nice. Yeah, please check that out. Well, you mentioned Prince, and again, tough, because Prince is, I, he's, he's my all-time favorite guitar player. Yeah. Like, without question. Like, and, but, I will say that this next, this my next song is a cover by my next all-time favorite guitar player. And I don't remember... I, again, I I said before there would be a Spotify playlist. Don't remember if there's been an official release of this. I'll dig and dig and dig and make sure I can find it. Part of it is a place and time. I remember like the first time I heard this was the first time I saw this artist live. But um, the artist um, is Ani DeFranco, uh -huh. I'm a folk singer, and she's absolutely like I said, my second favorite guitarist in the world. Amazing, amazing guitar player. Every, you know, the, the few times I got to see her was doing shit that I didn't even know was possible on any guitar, let alone an acoustic guitar, you know? And then on top of that, amazing storyteller, brilliant singer, just doing all the shit absolutely effortlessly. Great musicians on tour with her. So I remember seeing her in Oregon way back in the day, way, way back in the 90s. And for her encore, she did a, an acapella cover of When Doves Cry. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and we're talking about one of the classic songs of the last 40 yeah. years that like, you know, everyone aspires to write a song as good as when doves cry. Mm -hmm. And I almost think, I mean, I include on this list because I honestly thought this cover it's better, but it's better because the original so good. So again, similar yeah. to the Sue George thing, it took it in a different direction that was, you know, getting a little more into the heart of the vulnerability of yeah. the song because when you listen to the lyrics like there's a lot of trauma in those lyrics oh, big time. you know it's a it's actually a pretty dark song and so I, I her cover you know when i when i saw her do this you know she's just been playing this amazing set all night amazing guitar playing fantastic everything and then just does this version where it's just her the drummer singing background and just doing uh you know that staccato beat the yeah, you know, doing that on like bongos. Yeah. And it was just that, just them doing the melodies and just that. And just the way they pull it off, it was just mind blowing. It was just absolutely phenomenal. And I always think of that. Like I think about that song constantly to this day when I think about great covers, because it was just, it, it seems so out of the blue and it was so stripped down and raw and just so heavy for that, uh -huh. that it's just like, oh my God. And, check it out. Yeah, I'll, I'll find a version and, and put it in the notes, but to anyone who has ever seen that, or or if you haven't seen it, try to look it up on YouTube, or definitely go see her when she tours, because I think she does still tour. Um, because yeah, phenomenal experience, and definitely one of the best covers I've ever heard by anybody. For sure. <laughs> like, uh, oh, dead air. Dead air. Dead weird. air, dead air. Oh no. So, <laughs> my, my last track, I believe we have one each left. Yeah, um, is this is the this is the coin toss I talked about earlier that depending on the day, I would I would call myself a liar for what I'm about to say. Right. Um, but I am a huge fan of Sade. I always have been. Yeah. Um, I still rock Sade shirts on stage. Um, I 
fucking love a lot of what that what she's done. I think she's an incredibly talented and beautiful musician. And that being said, I believe today that the Deftones version of No Ordinary Love is better than hers. Uh, yeah <laughs> yeah that's yeah we're, yeah we're both swinging here yeah it's, it's like, like and again man it could be a i'm question. a huge fan of both so i'm interested sure. in your reasoning like, and you could ask me tomorrow and yeah. i would probably i would probably change my mind but i think that the original version is just a very beautiful powerful powerful love ballad that's right i think that no one else could have done that level of like windswept voice that she has aside from chino right um and truthfully like that when I was younger, got me into her. Right. And so I kind of worked backwards in that way. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. I mean, because I was probably like early 20s at that point and not as right. open-minded or broad strokes in music um, as you do when you become older. Right. But I think it's, you know, it's um, it's just as minimalist as the original is. And there's some like beautiful kind of mellower orchestration behind it. And I think it's just a sexy song. I think both of them are sexy songs. Yeah. And I think it was cool to hear it done in both a female voice and a male voice and right. still not lose any of that, like just the passion behind that track. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, that song was the first time I heard it. It was the B side for the digital single of I'm changing the house of flies. Maybe that sounds right. Um, and there was another song that they eventually re-released also called Crenshaw. That was yep. pretty good. But yeah, I remember that was, I, w- I was on the fence with the first Duff Tones record. And when they dropped the second one, I was all in. But I was all in in the sense that I didn't think they had anything like that in them. Sure. And so, yeah, I remember that that Chardet single being something that I was a really pleasant surprise. Mm. You know, and I also kind of liked, not kind of like, I actually very much liked, that they covered an artist who wasn't just another dude and another heavy song, you know what sure. I mean? Cause that, that would have been a, a very easy thing for a band in their position to do it's Two on the nose. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I feel like it would be, it's very much a lot of times again, in heavy music, when you have people do covers often, often my experience is along a binary where they'll just pick another song that kind of sounds clearly is one of their influences. And it's mm-hmm. just, you know, more heavy music or they'll pick something that, is ambitious and maybe it's a cool choice, but they don't pay it necessarily like the reverence that the song really requires, you know, and they don't put the thought into it. And like we talked about earlier, they just think that loud guitars over this will be enough to make it interesting. And so it lacks the passion. It lacks the depth. Um, And that song avoided all those mistakes. It did very much so. You know, and and it was very successful for that. Yeah. Good choice. I think think in a lot of ways it's very much foreshadowing too, because I think they kind of, took a nosedive for a brief minute and then they, they really kind of hit their stride with like diamond eyes. Right. Um, and I really like, you know, I think that self-titled record was a miss and I think yeah. they, they kind of, they kind of had that struggle in a minute and then they just became this like breathy, beautiful, heavy, heavy band again. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously there, you know, there was a lot going on with cheese passing and everything else that I'm sure right. didn't help. And then you got, uh, one of the bass players of all, greatest bass players of all time joining the band. Right. Really right. Helping around that shit out. Sergio Vega. And so I think it just kind of that song truly is an incredible homage to the original, but also a foreshadowing of where that band was going to go long term. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. And this is probably this is a whole other episode. But with a lot of these bands, once, you know, once they have a certain lo- amount of longevity that you can trace. It's interesting that when they do have those dips in their career, it is often tied to personal tragedy and it is sure. often tied to the band going through 
you know, these real personal challenges. And sometimes that results in some of the best music you've ever heard. And sometimes it does, but just further down the road. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was definitely the case with Deftones. Yeah, yep, absolutely. They need, some, they need someone to pick them back up. And so yeah, exactly. Might as, well, might as well be goddamn Sergio Vega. <laughs> right. So my last, so speaking of great bass players, <laughs> so my last one, um, again, going in the way back machine. So this is a band that I always thought people slept on, had really great musicianship, the lead singer, amazing bass player, amazing singer. Uh, and I don't think this band is active anymore. But it was the band Concrete Blonde. Yeah. And, you know, I guess they were mostly active in, like, early early 90s, late 80s. I know they did, they did a, tw- a tour with Tool recently. Wow. That would... I mean, I Tool. But, like... <laughs> well, no, I know, I know. Like, I've never seen the name. But that's rad. I mean, and, and that actually makes sense, because, you know, Tool... One thing I will give Tool is they, they have always been pretty good about taking bands out, like... Sure. That would be... Their, that their audience may not have paid attention to. Like, I remember, you know, because I have been a Tool fan. It's like, you know, I made that comment, and, you know, this, this again, is a whole other thing. Tool is, it, it occupies sort of the same space as, like, the band Fish, where it's like, it's less that I dislike the band and more that I dislike their hyper-close-minded, rabid fans. Sure. Um, I, I don't, I'm not super interested in the last few Tool records, but I still absolutely hold space for the first three records sure. specifically. Um, and I think it was on the tour for Anima that they brought out, um, it was one of Mike Patton's projects, um, Tomahawk. Uh-huh. Dude, that show was rad. And that was, that was a really fun experience. So that, I can see them that. bringing out Concrete Blonde. That would be really yeah. cool if that, if that were the case. But yeah, so Concrete Blonde did this cover and this cover turned, so it's a Leonard Cohen song called Everybody Knows. And it was on, there's this really... <laughs> This this '80s movie called Pump Up the Volume with Christian oh, God, Slater. Yeah, where he's like, he plays Vaguely. a high school kid who starts a pirate radio station. Yep. And the soundtrack still rocks. Like this, absolutely still slaps. It's like Bad Brains, Soundgarden, yeah. uh, Concrete Blonde, a bunch of great stuff. Um, but yeah, and I think that's where I first heard it was was seeing that movie as a kid. And I think it was something that like I had a lazy babysitter put it on. I absolutely should not have been watching it. <laughs> like, I was way too young to be seeing it. You yeah. know? But I remember loving all the music in it and going back later and revisiting it all. And, you know, their version of it actually turned me on to Leonard Cohen, who's definitely one of my favorite poets now. Sure. But dude, this version is it absolutely blows doors on on the original one. Because Leonard Cohen <laughs> It's similar to Bob Dylan where, and I'm not a Bob Dylan fan, but I, I don't disrespect it. I understand why people like it. Uh, but what I was going to say, the parallel is, is that Leonard Cohen, amazing poet in my eyes, fantastic storyteller, can't really sing. No, no <laughs> like, he can't. But I think that that was that, that was of that era where everybody thought they could do everything. And right. Leonard Cohen is a brilliant writer, one right. of my favorites, and I, I don't listen to him musically very often. Exactly. So to hear, again... Concrete Blonde, who I really, really think did not get, you know, the, a lot of the credit that was due because the musicianship was through the roof in every way. And Jeanette yeah. Napolitano, the, the singer, bass player, astounding singer, one of the best I've heard to this day, like amazing, amazing, amazing singer. And so to hear her do these fantastic lyrics with all the passion and intensity that they deserve and then hear her get to bust loose and really like soar over the thing. Yeah. Dude, it's an amazing, amazing cover that like, you know, I think it's way, way better than the original. Way, way better. I'll have to check it out again. It's been a minute since I've heard that. I remember loving it. Did you have any, because I know I had a bunch of bonus 
tracks for this one. I'll put them all on the playlist. Yeah, but yeah. I had one more that just came to mind. I'll just say, yeah, one more, one more. I will do one more if we get on time. So, um, Rage Against the Machine did that Renegades album that was kind of oh, at, at yeah. the tail end of when they were falling apart. Um, all covers, not all great. Unfortunately, like it, it's a pretty rocky listen, and there's there's some bangers on there for sure, and there's some things I could do without. However, the I think the like the bright flash of brilliance on that record is their version of Devo's "Beautiful World." Oh yeah, because yeah. that song specifically, like most Devo songs, is is really harsh and mean, and really just kind of topical of like a darker time, just played to like synthy pop music. Right, and what Rage did with that version is they stripped it down to an acoustic song, and Zach sang "It's a Beautiful World for You, Not Me" in a way that felt like a "fuck you." Right, and it felt like the true, you know, the it, the exact same essence that Devo was pushing, but meaner. Where where, <laughs> nice. De, where Devo was always kind of like that level, but just they just masked it well. And Zach, it just felt like Zach was saying with a middle finger. And man, like, I don't know. I go back to that one pretty regularly. It's just a quick, like, just shy of three minute acoustic track where he just kind of draws a lot of those those vocals out and sings a little bit like lower. There's no rap or anything on it. And it just, it's just mean, man. It's just a mean, mean song. And I don't know. It, it like just really kind of evokes a little bit extra in me. And I feel kind of, right, kind of shook a little bit at the end of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Great track. And again, there's a, there's a handful of good covers on there. I think when you get things like that with a band that was so prolific over, you know, yeah. what, three records before that or yeah. four? Um, I think four if you count like the EP. Like yeah, the we'll just say EP three. And... But yeah, we'll, we'll say like this, you know, they had, they had some good stuff. But then when that came out to know where they were at, that it, it kind of felt like a throwaway record in a lot of ways. Right. Um, I think it's okay to take that track and really sit with it. Yeah. <laughs> For sure, dude. Uh, what, what's your bonus? My, my bonus one, and this probably seems like low-hanging fruit, but I remember learning it was a cover, and I, I've actually never gone back to hear the original, and I think also this is just time and place, but it's uh, <laughs> Torn by Natalie Imbruglia. <laughs> like, that's a cover? Yeah, so that's a cover. and no Yeah, and it seems like, on the one hand, you know, it seems like just such, like, just overly pop sweet like something along the lines of like glycerine by bush or something you know like, nah, like I, I would give her more credit than that i hope so <laughs> yeah but like but i don't know for some reason that song like i'm always stoked when it comes on who's, I, saying, I'm, who's saying the original i forget yeah, and, i'll look it up yeah like um but apparently it's a cover and you know it's one of those things where i'm because i haven't heard the original i'm not gonna say it's better than the original but it clearly had some staying power that the original didn't um, and it's just a fun song, man. It's just a fun, weird breakup song. And it's just got that cool, like, I don't think it's an actual slide guitar, but the guitar line evokes slide, um, at the end of it. And it's just, I never get bummed when that song comes on. Like it's, I think it's just a fantastic, fantastic version of a song. I have no idea. Yeah. I read that it was a cover once. Um, let's see. And so I've always stuck with that torn original artist. Yeah. It's actually a cover original, original. version. Edna Swap. Uh, wow. No, no, it says SR71. Is that the name of the Apparently, record? Apparently, the original artist is SR71. I don't know. This is the internet coming out of this case. This, this is hot. We're learning as we go, and I haven't learned yeah. anything. Huh? Yeah. This is saying Edna Swap. I don't know what that means. Is it, it was a 90s band. Um, okay. From only a few years before Natalie and Brulia. So if that's. Huh. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to this. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter because, I mean, it's her song. Yeah, it's right. One, it's exactly. one of those things. Yeah, like, I think about, I didn't want to get into this part too much. I think it was, like, a little too inside baseball, but, like, Agnostic Front um, basically took Crucified by Iron Cross and made it theirs for 30 years. Right. Where, like, nobody remembers that this is that same kind of level where it's, like, you've just done this song and it doesn't matter because <laughs> you're better at it. Like, now, I don't know who... You know, maybe I'll listen to that song. Maybe I won't, but Natalie Imperilia did it better. And it was her song. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Hers is the one that stuck for sure. And yeah. like I said, hers is the one that when it comes on, I get stoked. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, for sure. Like, yeah, it's just a strong track. It's a good <laughs> one to end on too. So, all right, y'all appreciate you uh, joining us. And again, if you have uh, any feedback, you want to talk through it, some, some tracks that we forgot. Um, if you want to tell us we're fucking wrong, that's fine too. <laughs> you can hit us up. Um, we're on Instagram at our sincerest condolences. And our email is our sincerest condolences at gmail.com. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah. Cool. Um, <laughs> and if it bounces back, you can tell us we're wrong there too. Yeah, exactly. uh, so I guess we appreciate you joining us as always. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks you guys. Bye.